0: Today's readings are Romans 1311 to 14, and Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. They can be found on pages 1048 and 915 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. In Matthew 24, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was, the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into so you you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him the word of the Lord
1: I invite you to pray with me our God of grace Our our world keeps spinning and things keep happening in our lives. And we come, uh, for one reason or another, we come and take a seat here this morning in this um, rented community center space. And we we might know some people here. We might not know very many people here at all. Um, We come with different stories. We come with different emotional temperaments. We come with different personalities, we come with different um, places that we find ourselves in life. Maybe we find ourselves having gone through things that we thought would produce fulfillment and, we've, and we're on the other side of that now and they didn't. And we're trying to make sense of it and we're trying to maybe journey between finding a hope again and giving into to a sort of cynicism to what we can expect from this world some of us might come with great questions about faith or about God or about church or um, or about how the world works others of us come we may feel like we um, don't even have the energy to ask questions that perhaps we think we should be asking and some of us come, we've gone through uh, pain or sorrow or grief in a way just recently that, um, that makes us quite raw this morning. And, and, and healing would be the word that describes what our heart needs most. And some of us just maybe just this past week has involved revisiting irritations and old wounds related to family, or related to things not having panned out in our life the way we had hoped, or related to loneliness. And God, from all these places, um, from places of joy and thankfulness and places of difficulty and trouble, we sit here with the commonality of being more messed up than we care to admit more incapable and more broken than we want other people to know, more fragile than we want to even admit ourselves. And we, we we come with that before you, the God we say who is a God of grace because you have moved into the world of fragility. You have taken on fragility in by moving into our world in the fragile place of a baby born to an impoverished family in the first century. And we, that is the hope that we can find this morning, that, that you enter into the broken world, the fragile world, and you take it on yourself to redeem those who are a mess And so it is true that as we sit here more of a mess than we care to admit, it is also true that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Not by anything we're going to religiously do to climb our way to you, but because you condescended and came down to us. You came and met us before we could even reach out to you. And it is that grace that meets us at the door when we begin to pray to you, to look to you for hope this Advent season. We pray that you would speak to us through that grace now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so as I, as I prepared how to speak on this topic of wait, waiting, as I prayed about it, as I looked for the words for it, um, I was thinking primarily about the Romans passage that karen just read romans 13 and do this understanding the present time the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed the night is nearly over the day is almost here so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And there was, there's a lot of nots in that passage, right? There's a lot of what not to do. I found it difficult to find the pictures and the words for what, um, what could guide us on what to do. And I found my answer in one of my theological mentors. I haven't met him um, He's dead now. His name is Henry Nowen. And I found the answer in one of his writings, and I'm going to read it to you. Um, at first I thought, boy, some of these quotes could really work for this message. And then I thought, you know what, most of this could really work for this me-. And then I realized, no, I think all of it could work for what we need to hear. And so that's what we're going to listen to uh, uh, now. Henry Nowen, something entitled "Waiting for God," and I should say Henry Nowen is someone who knows a little bit about this question of how do we live in the meantime. How do you, if you're going to have this picture of we live in between Christ's first coming and in still a broken world awaiting His second coming, how do you how do you live? How do you keep track of time, and how do you live in that in between space? Henry Nowen is a, is a Dutch Catholic priest. So right there, you have, um, you have this implicit knowledge that he's somebody who lived out a vow of celibacy. So just, just kind of consider how countercultural that is. As we, in our, to, our day and age, we, we call our, the domain of our sexual choices, we call that ours, and no one can say anything about that. So this is somebody who took a vow in that realm. He also, when the civil rights movement was happening, he felt moved and called to go down and march on the road to Selma. And when, um, um, I had one other thing. Well, one of, the, one of the things that he's known well for, and I know a lot of you have read this book, the, there's a book he wrote called The Return of the Prodigal Son, a revolutionary book related to um, God's grace and the story of the prodigal son. And then one other thing, I remembered it, one other thing he did is he spent, I don't know how much of his life, but he gave up his life in academia to go and live, I think, for at least a decade. I could be wrong. Does anybody know how long he lived in the, commu- the intentional community? Decade, maybe more? Um, I don't know how you say it. It's French. L'arche community? What is it? L'arche? L'Arche. L'Arche. Thank you. L'Arche. Appreciate that. <laughs> the way she said it. <laughs> um... And, he, and so he moved in and lived in this intentional community, which was um, uh, the game-changer part about that was that it was a community. I don't know exactly how to say it, but it had a community of people who needed a lot of help because they had disabilities, mental and physical disabilities. And so he moved into this community, which had the assumption of living uh, together with people with severe disabilities. And he was even partnered with someone named Adam, and lived out this, this vision of that community that uh, not so much that Adam needs him, but that he needs Adam. So this is who's saying how to live and wait for God, just to give you some context. Now I'll just read Henry Nouwen. <laughs> waiting is not a very popular attitude. Waiting is not something that people think about with great sympathy. In fact, people, most people consider waiting a waste of time. Perhaps this is because the culture in which we live is basically saying, get going, do something, show you are able to make a difference. Don't just sit there and wait. For many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. And people do not like such a place. They want to get out of it by doing something. In our particular historical situation, waiting is even more difficult because we are so fearful. One of the most pervasive emotions in the atmosphere around us is fear. People are afraid, afraid of inner feelings, afraid of other people, and also afraid of the future. Fearful people have a hard time waiting because when we are afraid, we want to get away from where we are. But if we cannot flee, we may fight instead. Many of our destructive acts come from the fear that something harmful will be done to us. And if we take a broader perspective that not only individuals but whole communities and nations might be afraid of being harmed, we can understand how hard it is to wait and how tempting it is to act. Here are the roots of the of a first strike approach to others. People who live in a world of fear are more likely to make aggressive, hostile, destructive responses than people who are not so frightened. The more afraid we are, the harder waiting becomes. That is why waiting is such an unpopular attitude for many people. It impresses me, therefore, that all the figures who appear in the first pages of Luke's gospel are waiting. Zechariah, Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and and Anna, who were there at the temple when Jesus was brought in, are waiting. The whole opening scene of the good news is filled with waiting people. And right at the beginning of all those people, in some way or another, they hear the words, Do not be afraid. I have something good to say to you. These words set the tone of the context. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, and Anna are waiting for something new and good to happen to them. Who are these figures? They are representatives of waiting Israel. The Psalms are full of this attitude. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. My soul is longing for the Lord more than a watchman for daybreak. Let the watchman count on daybreak and Israel on the Lord, because with the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Psalm 130 verses 5 through 7. My soul is waiting for the Lord. That is the song that reverberates all through the Hebrew scriptures. But not all who dwell in Israel are waiting. In fact, we might say that the prophets criticized the people, at least in part, for giving up their attentiveness to what was coming. Waiting finally became the attitude of the remnant of Israel, that's of that small group of Israelites that remained faithful. The prophet Zephaniah says, In your midst, I will leave a humble and lowly people, and those who are left in Israel will seek refuge in the name of Yahweh. They will do no wrong, will tell no lies, and the perjured tongue will no longer be found in their mouths. It is the purified remnant of faithful people who are waiting. Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, and Simeon are representatives of that remnant. They have been able to wait, to be attentive, to live expectantly. But what is waiting? What is the nature of it? What is the practice of waiting? How are they waiting? And how are we called to wait with them? Waiting, as we see it in the people on the first pages of the gospel, is waiting with a sense of promise. Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is to bear you a son. Mary, listen, you are to conceive and bear a son. People who wait have received a promise, that allows them to wait. They have received something that is at work in them like a seed that has already like a seed that has started to grow. This is very important. This can only really we can only really wait if what we are waiting for has already begun in us. So waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. Waiting is always a movement from something to something more. Zechariah, Mary, Elizabeth were living with a promise that nurtured them, that fed them, that made them able to stay where they were. And in this way, the promise itself could grow in them and for them. Second, waiting is active. Most of us think waiting, of waiting as something very passive. A hopeless state, determined by events, totally out of our hands. The bus is late? You cannot do anything about it, so you have to sit there and just wait. It is not difficult to understand the irritation people feel when somebody says, just wait. Words like that seem to push us into passivity. But there is none of this passivity in Scripture. Those who are waiting are waiting very actively, they know that what they are waiting for is growing from the ground on which they are standing. That's the secret. The secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted that something has begun. Active waiting means to be present to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are, and that you want to be present to it. Let me read that again. Active waiting means to be present to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment. A waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where you are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden will manifest itself to us. Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else and therefore want to go elsewhere. Can you relate to that? I can. The moment is empty. But patient people dare to stay where they are. Patient living means to live actively in the present and wait there. Waiting, then, is not passive. It involves nurturing the moment as a mother nurtures the child that is growing within her. But there is more. Waiting is open-ended. Open-ended waiting is hard for us because we tend to wait for something very concrete, for something that we wish to have. Much of our waiting is filled with wishes. I wish that I would have a job. I wish that the weather would be better. I wish that the pain would go. We are full of wishes, and our waiting easily gets entangled in those wishes. For this reason, a lot of our waiting is not open-ended. Instead, our waiting is just a way of controlling the future. We want the future to go in a very specific direction and if this does not happen, we are disappointed and we can even slip into despair. That is why we have such a hard time waiting. We wanna do the things that will make the desired events take place. Here we can see how wishes tend to be connected with fears. But Zechariah, Elizabeth and Mary were not filled with wishes, they were filled with hope. Hope is something very different. Hope is trusting that something will be fulfilled But fulfilled according to the promises, and not just according to our wishes. Therefore, hope is always open ended. I have found it very important in my life, in my own life, to let go of my wishes and start hoping. It was only when I was willing to let go of wishes that something really new, something beyond my own expectations, could happen to me. Just imagine what Mary was actually saying in the words I am a handmaid of the Lord. Let what you have said be done to me, from Luke chapter 1. She was saying, I don't know what this all means, but I trust that good things will happen. She trusted so deeply that her waiting was open to all possibilities. And she did not want to control them. She believed uh, that when she listened carefully, she could trust what was going to happen. To wait open-endedly is an enormously radical attitude towards life. So that to trust that something will happen to us, or I'm sorry, so so is to trust that something will happen to us that is far beyond our own imaginings. So too is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life. Trusting that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. The spiritual life is a life in which we wait according to Uh, actively present to the moment, trusting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination, fantasy, or prediction. That indeed is a very radical stance towards life in a world preoccupied with control. Now let me say something about the practice of waiting. How do we wait? One of the most beautiful passages of scripture is Luke 1:39 through 56 which suggests that we we wait together. As did Mary and Elizabeth. What happened when Mary received the words of promise? She went to Elizabeth. Something was happening to Elizabeth as well as to Mary, but how could they live that out? I find the meeting of these two women very moving. Because Elizabeth and Mary came together and enabled each other to wait. Mary's visit made Elizabeth aware of what she was waiting for. The child leapt for joy in her. Mary affirmed Elizabeth's waiting. And then Elizabeth said to Mary, Blessed is she who believed that the promise made her by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary responded, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. She burst into joy herself. These two women created space for each other to wait. They affirmed for each other that something was happening that was worth waiting for. I think that is the model of the Christian community. It is a community of support, celebration, and affirmation in which we can lift up what has already begun in us. The visit of Elizabeth and Mary is one of the Bible's most beautiful expressions of what it means to form community, to be together, gathered around a promise, affirming that something is really happening. This is what prayer is all about. It is a coming together around a promise. This is what celebration is all about. It is lifting up what is already there. This is what Eucharist is all about. It is saying, thank you for the seed that has been planted. It is saying, we are waiting for the Lord who has already come. The whole meaning of the Christian community lies in offering space in which we wait for that which we have already seen. The Christian community is the place where we keep the flame alive among us and take it seriously so that it can grow and become stronger in us. In this way, we can live with courage, trusting that there is a spiritual power in us that allows us to live in this world without being seduced constantly by despair, lostness, darkness. That is how we dare to say that God is a God of love, even when we see hatred all around us. That is why we can claim that God is a God of life even when we see death and destruction and agony all around us. We say it together. We affirm it in one another. Waiting together, nurturing what has already begun, expecting its fulfillment, that is the meaning of marriage, friendship, community, and the Christian life. Our waiting is always shaped by alertness to the word. It is waiting in the knowledge that someone wants to address us. The question is, are we home? Are we at our address? Ready to respond to the doorbell? We need to wait together to keep each other at home spiritually so that when the word comes, it can become flesh in us. That is why the book of God is always in the midst of those who gather we gather or we read the word so that the word can become flesh and have a whole new life in us. Simone Veil, vale, a Jewish writer, said, "Waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life." When Jesus speaks about the end of time, he speaks precisely about the importance of waiting. He says that nations Nations will fight against nations, and there will be wars and earthquakes and misery. People will be in agony, and they will say, Christ is there. No, Christ is here. Everybody will be totally upset, and many will be deceived. But Jesus says you must stand ready, stay awake, stay tuned to the Word of God so that you will survive all that is going to happen and be able to stand confidently in the presence of God together in community. That is the attitude of waiting that allows us to be people who can live in a very chaotic world and survive spiritually. Will you pray with me? God, as we reflect on waiting, we ask for your help. In whatever place we find ourselves with the issue of waiting for you, we need your help most of all. May we pursue that help together and may we find that you meet us and you help us to wait. We don't even sometimes know what we're waiting for. Your word says that your son is coming again. But we don't have a lot of information about what will happen when he comes again, just that all things will be made new. And we have a lot of things in our lives that we want made new. So help us to be home when you come and call. Some of us may feel very much at home. Some of us may have a sense of what that means. Some of us may feel, as we sit here this morning, so far from anything spiritually that feels like home. The security, the safety, the grace, the acceptance, the celebration and affirmation of being at home with you, the Father. That may seem so elusive to some of us. For some of us, it may be just a reminder of something we've experienced before. And for others of us, we may feel like we're there like never before. Would you help us? Would you be our Father, and would you help us to come home and to stay home and to be ready? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.